We are picking up with 1 Samuel chapter 10, and it really continues right where we left off from last time. If you remember, Saul had gone out with his servant to look for his father's donkeys, and after not finding them, his servant made that suggestion, well, why don't we go and ask the man of God? Maybe he can help us. And so, with maybe a bit of reluctance, hesitation, Saul goes to the servant, and they meet the man of God, really maybe actually genuinely meet for the first time, or even for Saul, even finding out who he is, Samuel. And Samuel invites and saying, you're going to come up to the high place and have a meal with me. And after they get up there, after Samuel tells them, don't worry about the donkeys, they've already been found, he talks with Saul some more, gives him some of the food of honor, and says, the, the next day I'll let you go. And then when he lets his servant go, he tells Saul, wait, you wait here with me though. Let the servant go. I will have something, a message from God for you. And that's where chapter 9 left off, where we jump now in with chapter 10. We get that message of God from Samuel to Saul. 1 Samuel chapter 10, beginning with the first verse. Then Samuel took a flask of olive oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb, Azelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, The donkeys you set out to look for have been found, and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? So the first thing we got to look at here is what Samuel's actions are. That he says, I have a message from God for you, Saul. And then, without saying anything, he starts to do something. He takes this oil and pours it on Saul's head and kisses him. What is Samuel doing to Saul? Here is maybe a very plain example of what it means to be anointed. The pouring of oil to designate someone for a specific position, to set them apart for that. And interesting enough, as we look at this, this is the first time in Scripture that we have any sort of anointing that doesn't have to do with priests. Every other anointing we've had up to this point in Scripture are all the priests. Well, we couldn't have had a king before because Saul is the first king. And God gives this kind of recognition, this kind of setting apart for his king, showing that this is, yeah, a servant of God for a very noble purpose. Samuel's words to Saul. He doesn't just say, you're the next king. It's not so direct in that way because really Samuel is trying to say something more to Saul. Understand what this anointing is for. What the position really is all about. Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? What strikes you about the way Samuel says it?
That's a good thing to pick out. That it says the Lord anointed you. It doesn't say I am anointing you. The Lord anointed you. Another thought? Yeah, okay, it's phrased as a question. I, this would be one of those questions where you, we find, you know, as we talk, sometimes you say a question when you're really, it's, you're really making a very direct and strong statement. And you recognize, sometimes asking a question in such a way is actually stronger than just saying it. It's almost, ponder this for yourself. Yes, as you said, you should realize this. I'm not just telling you this. You need to think and make sure you recognize. Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Ponder what that means. Make sure that is the forefront as you go into this position. Other things you see stick out from this. Please. Yeah, that phrase. Yes, thank you. The phrase there, he doesn't say, I've anointed you ruler as king. I've anointed you ruler over his inheritance, the Lord's inheritance. What is being communicated there? As Samuel says that to Saul, the Lord has anointed you. Make sure you realize it's over his inheritance, his heirs, his people. This is not just another job. It's not just a very high up job. Look what the Lord is giving you. He's giving you charge over his people, his inheritance. What a high calling. What a high calling this is. Don't just think of it, oh, you're another now ruler of a nation. It's much higher than that. And don't forget it. Has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? Please. Thank you for adding that. That's a really, you know, that's a really good thing to keep in mind here. As you said, the idea that the Lord's inheritance, this is not your soul. This is not yours. This is God's that he's given to you. And there will be always be God's. This is not your dynasty. This is not your, what you're going to conquer and accomplish that you're going to pass on. It's being entrusted to you. You're not for you to possess, but to rule over and serve. Thank you for that. Other comments or questions? Application thoughts with this? Okay, none of us have been anointed king. But has God given entrusted things to us? Has he entrusted his inheritance to us in ways? You think about the people in our lives, and maybe... It's just really a profound one to look. Okay, the natural example, thinking about the people the Lord gives us to children, they're entrusted to us from the Lord. And you can expand that out to other relationships too. 
that they are expand, they entrusted to us, they're his? And so now all of a sudden realize, okay, as we serve, it's, it's not about us, it's not about that, but okay, we're serving the Lord in this to take care of, to protect, to provide for, to instruct that it's not about, okay, what's going to happen afterwards for ours. No, it's always his. And what's a profound, what an important thing for us to ponder. Has not the Lord entrusted his inheritance to us? It can be applied in other ways too, okay, as we think about specific roles of service that God gives to his people, as he does, gives positions, not king, but other positions within his church. To keep that in mind, well, what is that all about? Has not the Lord appointed and trusted to you his inheritance. That's something for us always to keep in mind and realize, you know, as we serve in many ways our God from what he doesn't trust and everything we have has been entrusted to us from him. That it is the Lord's. That it's something for us to keep at the forefront of our mind of Okay, this is a noble calling. A noble calling as Christians. How has the Lord entrusted to us? He's entrusted his word to us. He's entrusted the message of salvation to us. He's entrusted the different ways we can follow his word in our lives. Whether, whether we spread his word through lips proclaimed, but also just through our lives obeying. Has not the Lord appointed and trusted you with his inheritance? A noble calling. Questions or comments? Please. Question here is ours. Is this now equivalent to baptism being set apart? And I, you're going to say they're not going to be the same. They're not the exact same. Because as you see that, okay, this anointing was taking place in the Old Testament for very specific positions, usually positions of authority, and so with a set amount of functions that they were supposed to do in a role. But you do see a parallel. You do see a parallel. Because, okay, what's happening? Oil is being poured over. Well, in baptism, okay, it's the applying of water. And what does that water do? Well, it makes you a child of God. Water connected to the word. Well, what happened here? You had the oil connected with the word proclaimed. Now you're, okay, being anointed. So you see the parallel. And so while you're going to say they're not synonymous, you see that parallel there in that, okay, as baptism, you are set apart. And what have you now been given? You've been given new life. You've been given forgiveness, all those gifts, and you are a Christian. What a noble position that you receive the inheritance from the Lord and are also being entrusted with that inheritance. So good thing to bring up there next. Not synonymous, but you see a parallel, a very strong parallel. Good application. Other questions or comments? Maybe another good connection as we just celebrated the baptism of our Lord. Well, what is Jesus doing there in the Jordan River? 
He is standing in our place as being our substitute in every way. Jesus is not there because he needs a cleansing of sin. He's there because we need a cleansing of sin. But it's also you have an really a unique, different kind of anointing. There's no oil. But this is the marking the beginning of his ministry. Officially proclaiming him as the Christ, the anointed one. And the Spirit descends on him as a dove. That's what we're going to see here. You know, we're going to see the Spirit fill Saul, and that's really what happens, this kind of anointing that, okay, the Spirit is at work. In our baptism, that parallel, the Spirit is at work. And at Jesus' baptism, the Spirit's at work. He is the anointed one. Not an anointed one to be a king, but the anointed one to be prophet, priest, and king. Question. When was baptism first initiated? Yeah, good question. So baptism as a, you recognize, you see a few different kind of perspectives and development of baptism as we know it. Jesus instituted the baptism that we do today. You can look on, okay, so yeah, we'll go back to John, but start with Jesus to recognize, okay, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Before that, John was doing a baptism, a baptism that pointed ahead to Jesus. Jesus' baptism is connecting to his death, his resurrection, what he has accomplished. John is pointing ahead to Jesus, prepare the people for Jesus, a baptism of repentance. And that flows out of also then, they had cleansing rituals before this. The idea of washing as part of a, as part of a ritual that they would do, it was something that came in from the Old Testament out of in the wilderness. You can see those cleansing rituals already in the book of Numbers. And so you see there, it, baptism as we know it, well, that came with Christ and his command. John's baptism was leading up to it, and there were cleansing rituals that were even leading up to that. You see how God has been, he's not building and improving what he was doing, but how he's unveiling and over time developing really to point and peak at Christ through baptism. And you can see that through these pictures of also of anointing. You can see it also as well with circumcision. That was a different ritual that also then has a shadow that's going to be then shown up in baptism as well. Did that answer your question? Kind of. It, it is an interesting thing. I would say encourage, take a look go and looking at numbers first and see, look at some of those cleansing rituals where you see water first kind of being used. You can find those also in Leviticus with some of the sacrifices. And you're going to see, and then when you read out through in some of the Psalms, you see those pictures of waters being used as far as cleansing as well. Um, John's baptism is unique in how he all of a sudden brings up as far as baptism of repentance. You see that idea is still there as far as the cleansing of sin. It's nothing new, but how John is presenting it and doing it is, is different. It's unique. And how that's pointing to Christ and how then the baptism of Christ really is, you know, okay, it's connecting to Jesus, to his death that's been accomplished.
Yeah, that's a... No, I think you're, see, you're seeing some of God's purpose and pointing out some of God's purpose there with Jesus' baptism. Reckon, identifying someone had to baptize Jesus for him to subject himself to it, for people to see it and realize what Jesus is doing. And you see, really, that's where, okay, this is God's epiphany, his appearing, his revelation, showing Jesus is the Christ. Yeah. And he leaves the record to show it to us. And so that's why, you know, as Jesus goes to John and John says, I shouldn't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, it is necessary to do this to fulfill all righteousness. This is what needs, this is the way it is to be done. And really, as Jesus uses the forerunner for him, what better person? That's his role to prepare. And what's he doing? He's preparing the people. Here he is. Here he is. We had some other things that come up in this section. After Samuel anoints Saul, and he said, has not the Lord anointed you ruler over his inheritance? We've mentioned that this is something that now Saul is to really, really should be resting on his heart. Not just now, but really his whole reign but you could also understand that maybe, you know, as he ponders, there might be a little doubt. We experience doubt all the time in our lives. Doubt of God says this, but does it, is that really what it is? My life doesn't necessarily seem to display this. Who am I? How is it? And so Saul, from the tribe of Benjamin, the least of the tribes, who is he? You can understand that there might be doubt. Samuel from God, now, is already going to give Saul things to calm his doubts. He's going to give miracles to confirm any kind of concerns Saul had. And the first starts here, that he says, you leave, we're going to leave, and you're going to meet two people. And they're going to tell you that the donkeys have been found. And not that they're just going to tell you the donkeys have been found. Now remember, Samuel had already told them that the donkeys had been found. But you're going to find some other people who are going to tell you this too. But they're also going to tell you, and now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He's asking, what shall I do about my son? What's intriguing about those words that Samuel tells Saul, now this is going to happen? We already mentioned, I mean, Samuel's already told him the donkeys. Well, you look and see the grace of God in repetition. It, it should be enough for us just to hear something once and then, all right, completely fully trust it. But no, our sinful nature likes to create doubt. And so God keeps telling, keeps reminding. And so even with this, the donkeys are going to remind you again from someone else. The donkeys have been found. Because really, you recognize with this that by the time those people tell saw the donkeys have been found, that's now the third time. Samuel told it once before. Samuel's telling it twice now and a third time. But then also, what else? They don't just say the donkeys. They're going to mention your father. And he's going to say he stopped thinking about the donkeys and thinking about you. Who had said that? 
That was Saul's concern. That was Saul's reason ready to turn back from the last chapter. And now Samuel, the man of God, God's prophet, his mouthpiece, strikes exactly to what Saul's concern had been before he met Samuel. And now going to, God's going to use that concern as a source of saying, yeah, what you thought was going to happen, which we didn't, probably didn't even have a conversation about, God knows your heart. I'm going to use this, because they're going to come and say that. He is going to be concerned, but I'm going to use this as evidence now by telling you this in advance, evidence that what I have said about you being ruler, you can be absolutely certain. Your worry from something else, I'm going to make a reason for you to trust. A reason to trust that you are the Lord's anointed. Does God ever do that with our lives? think all the time the things that we were so concerned about that we worry about he then uses them to show his glory to give us even more reason to trust in them maybe so can you think of a time that that's true for you I can think of a number of times the concern and worry. Well, what do you say in this situation, walking into it? What am I going to say? Worried, concerned about it, not having the words. Even walking away saying, boy, I have no idea if I said anything good there. Or I, I wish I would have said this instead. Or I shouldn't have said this. And then God works he was working through it and creates a result completely the opposite that you would have imagined. Something you would not have included turns your concern into confidence of his promise, of how he works and does it. That's the first of the evidence that Samuel gives to Saul. Wouldn't that be enough even? But God is going to, in his grace, pour on sign after sign to show Saul, the Lord has anointed you as ruler over his inheritance. Questions or comments here? Verse 3. Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to worship God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. Oddly specific, don't you think? <laughs> Oddly specific. He didn't say, we're going to meet some men, they're going to have some food, and they'll give you some. No, down to the detail of this sign. By having these small things come true of what God is doing for you, if God is so concerned 
and precise with these details in such little things of food? How much more, Saul, for you as his anointed ruler over his inheritance? When God is so concerned, and he is, in all the little details of our lives, of which he even says, the hairs on our head, how much more in everything else, in all the big things? When you see the hand of God looking out for you in such a small way, whether it's, you know, using one of his people to give you a word of encouragement when you need it, or to reach out to see how you're doing, or a simple gesture of assistance. That's the power of God at work in such a small way. How much more in the big things? How much more can those little things really uplift you, and they do, to have the confidence and trust as you're facing something much bigger? Something bigger as whether it's health, whether it's a family issue, whether it's finance, something much bigger And you see how God looks out for you in the little things. The little things matter to God. Everything matters to God. Questions or comments here? That's number two. Number two, so first one is the people you're going to meet, talk to you about the donkeys and your father. Number two is you're going to meet other people, and it's at the place. It's not just you're going to kind of meet them, it's here. You're going to meet them here. And then number three, Verse 5, after that you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high place with lyres, timbrels, pipes, and harps being played before them, and they will be prophesying. The Spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you, and you will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, Do whatever your hand finds to do, for God is with you. Sign number three for you, Saul, is as you keep going, and once again, it's going to be at this place. As you go to Gibeah, you're going to find this full of stuff. You're going to meet another group of people. And this is going to be a procession of prophets. This is the first time in Scripture we get a reference to these schools of prophets of men who are studying, who are training in the word of God. You see them more common as, you know, we get later into the kings with Elisha that's come up again. And this gives our first indication too, you know, realizing the emphasis on, you say, really Christian education. Christian education as in a general sense, as a nation whole, really was at the home at this point. They did not have those kind of structured schools, but you do recognize some specialized ones for those to be serving in unique ways within his church. Um, You know, you look at our modern parallels, we have schools to train people to be pastors and teachers. Um, We, looking ahead this weekend, we have a unique opportunity to focus on that as we have a guest preacher that we center our service really on worker training, this gift that God has given to serve and recognize what that service is and who that service is for and how we all are part of that service as well. And so you see the school of prophets. Now, the important thing to note is 
Saul is not a member of this group of prophets prophesying until now. And Samuel says to him, they will be prophesying and the spirit of the Lord will come powerfully upon you and you will prophesy with them. You look at the first two signs and say, oh, okay. Well, if, if Samuel hadn't told me these things were going to happen, if he hadn't told me that someone would bump into me and tell me about the dog because my father, could that have happened on its own? Yeah, it seems normal enough. Um, the second one of going and meeting someone, giving you some food, could that have happened on its own? Perhaps. Perhaps. I mean, it's possible enough. Um, maybe something we didn't mention, the other ones, those people were going up to God at Bethel, they were going to worship, and that they would give some of that they're offering, maybe heightens it a little bit more from the honor that Saul has been given, that something they were bringing to the Lord, now they're bringing to the Lord's representative. But still, you know what, you look at the circumstances, okay, doesn't seem too out of the ordinary from initial looks at it, but this one, that you're prophesied, but more so, the Spirit of the Lord is coming upon you. Here it's not just you see the hand of God at work, but, the, but God himself is pouring upon you because you're his anointed one and you're going to prophesy with them and you'll be changed into a different person. Please. Good point. Okay. Sure. So the progression here you mentioned as far as, okay, that you see these different things that God is showing Saul and building Saul up, and you may comment, okay, you know, today it takes years and years to become a pastor and studying that. Well, Saul, there's a progression, but it's very quick. Maybe a few things to take note. First, Saul, as he's doing ruler, an anointed position, not the same as pastor in far as, really, you may recognize this way, he's not a prophet. He's going to be prophesying with him, and that's going to be a unique miracle. But Saul's role is a little different. Now, there's certainly going to be training and it's certainly going to be instruction, but it is different in that way that he's going to be ruling over the people. He is not the primary spiritual leader of the people. Now, there is certainly a spiritual component. That's, you still, he, he's lifted. God lifts up his people. God lifts and builds them up. And you recognize, even too, as you make that comment, sorry, his years and years of training, that's not necessarily how God always called his, his prophets, his priests in the past either. Now certainly he puts qualifications as far as, you know, certain characteristics as being his representative of his church, a certain big qualities and being able to teach and things like that. And so you recognize, okay, there's, there's certain levels of instruction to meet those qualifications. But even look at God's church in the past. Let's talk about a different Saul. What kind of training did Saul the Apostle Paul have to be God's missionary? He did have some. It was not a formal, okay, you're going to go to this school and now you're going to receive this degree and do this. No, he was called. Now, you recognize how God used his life up leading up to that point that he was a Pharisee. He had been in the scriptures. Now, he was not believing in what they were proclaiming. He was, he was twisting them as a Pharisee, as seeking to destroy. But it wasn't as if he was unfamiliar with them. And then Jesus himself did go and instruct Paul for a few years 
um, out in the desert. At the time, we have a time of missing that's from the chronology, and Paul makes a reference to Jesus coming and struck. We don't know exactly length of time, exactly what it all entailed, but there was instruction. And so you recognize God can lift up and train his people in different ways. In different ways. We have a model that we set. As you know, there's wise and good practices because it's thorough. It's deep. And it's giving lots of experience and building up. But you also recognize that model of we have a worker training college that pastors, teachers, staff, ministers go to and they spend four or five years depending on the degree to pursue there. And that's many times doesn't have to be comes after other specific Christian education training, whether it's in a school, but certainly within their own church and home. And then you recognize after that, pastors go on for four more years of the seminary. We have that model. But recognize there are other ways that God calls today pastors and teachers. Not everyone follows that path. God uplifts his people in different ways. Sometimes it comes from someone, you know, they'd served the Lord with a different occupation most of their life, and, you know, it's a second career kind of thing. And they come, and they pursue it, and the training system, education, it's all different as far as the steps into it, because it's not the same situation anymore. I saw a comment over here. Please. That's a really good comparison. I'm just going to repeat it to make sure that we all heard it as well. The comparison there, okay, but thinking between Saul, king, and Saul, the, the apostle, as you mentioned, is kind of in some ways inverse, but to recognize how some of those comparisons of being both Benjamites, how Benjamites are compared to ravaging wolves, and how King Saul is later going to be pursuing David and trying to kill him, whereas the Apostle Paul, before that, had been pursuing Christians. And you get that kind of inverse as we're going to see, okay, Saul starts his reign, his rule, following the Lord, but then rejects and turns away. The Apostle Paul starts as rejecting and fighting against, and God calls back. And in the middle in there, there's an anointing, isn't there? Anointing for both. I saw another hand pop up, please. Yeah, no, and that's good, some good. Yeah, you've got some good points there. So, okay, Saul first recognizing from his family. God had not told Israel what family this first king would come from. Now, he had told them from what family line the Messiah would come, the king, that was from Judah. And so perhaps that was also then a shock. Well, you only expect that if he's proclaimed the king Messiah is going to come from Judah, that you'd expect a Judah to be the next king, someone from Judah. And so there's that surprise, okay, Benjamin least, but then also, as you mentioned, though, this idea of the prophets. And I think that's an interesting one you said there, too to think about. We have the school of prophets, but when we see the prophets show up in Scripture, they aren't necessarily mentioned as being ones from these schools or things like that. They almost seem to come out of nowhere, that God just appears and calls, and you get that shock 
of why me? Why me? And, you know, I think that's a good application you'll recognize there too that sometimes God comes and calls us when we aren't looking for it. Please. Um, question as far as prophesying prophet. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So maybe let's recognize too, we have prophet as a position, as in that they are specifically in this position as prophet, but then you also have prophesying as, a, as an action. And so there are times where God will prophesy. Prophesy in a broad sense means to speak on God's behalf. God will prophesy through people who don't necessarily hold the position. He will speak through them even though he has not specifically designated them for that position. And so that's what we see Saul doing. Yeah, so that's what we see Saul doing here. Yeah, mentioning there that, okay, you're going to see a procession of prophets. People who have this position, who are part of this group in that, and they're going to be prophesying what you'd expect them to do. God speaking through them. But now you, who are not in this position, who've not been anointed that position either, make note of that, even anointed to be king, not to be a prophet, you are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to speak through you too. And that's to give you that confidence that, yes, the Lord has anointed you. The Lord, God is with you. Yes, yes. And as you said here, Apostle Paul, as he would later go out, he had training, he received words from Jesus, instruction. Saul here did not. Now, that doesn't mean he didn't know God's word, but he did not have that specific training to prophesy like this. It's only from the spirit filling, and perhaps now you look at it and think of a parallel like Pentecost. Now, sir, okay, the apostles, yes. They had the kind of instruction from these three years with Jesus. But what happens on Pentecost is very different because it happens in direct connection to the Spirit filling them. And that's what we have here, the Spirit filling Saul. Change into a different person? What does that mean? Saul was changed into a different person. We had noted from the previous chapter that perhaps Saul, his spiritual strength wasn't maybe as strong as his servants, that his relationship with God was weaker, and the fact that he didn't even think about asking the man of God, didn't know who the man of God was, was more concerned, okay, we have to bring the man of God, something like that. And so you can see perhaps a change in that way, that, okay, yes, you are going to be given a rich measure of, of spiritual gifts here now, poured upon you. It could be simply to, you know, you change a different person, the spirit comes on you, going to fill you with some of those gifts of courage and zeal to serve in this role. You're the Lord's anointed. He is going to fill you up with the gifts to serve him, changing you into a different person. Not that Saul wasn't a believer, but more now this filling him up to perform this function as king. Has the Spirit of Lord, the Lord changed you into a different person?
And I think this is where we're coming now kind of full circle as we see that parallel between baptism and anointing. Has the Spirit of the Lord changed you into a different person? Absolutely. Changing us from being dead in sin to new life. And it doesn't just end at our baptism, though, either. It's not as if we've been just changed now, okay, and that's it. But the Spirit of the Lord continues to change as he strengthens our faith to grow us in our trust and through his word. God changes hearts. It's an initial change from death to life, but also in that new life now continuing to grow. The change only happens through the spirit of the Lord working. He works through his word. He works through his sacraments. Questions or comments? Here, please. Yeah, and so some, you know, as we look ahead and knowing, okay, where's Saul, what's going to happen with Saul's reign, it, it's easy to lead that question, okay, God knows beforehand, before he anoints Saul, what's going to happen. Well, why did he do it? It seems like a poor pick, doesn't it? I mean, if you were planning it out and you said, well, this person will eventually reject and turn the whole nation away and cause trouble and even try to kill the next anointed king, or you have all these other people, which one would you pick? Not that one. But there I think we see how the wisdom of God appears foolish, doesn't it? Because the reality is that this was good for Saul to be king. God is using Saul to accomplish his purpose. Because remember, one of those purposes was that he would deliver, as we stated last chapter, deliver his people from the Philistines. For I have heard their cries to me. I've heard their cries. This is good. God is going to use Saul to do this purpose. God is going to use Saul to usher in the kingdom of David as well. God is using Saul, a man who very much looks like the king Israel wants, for the good of the nation. As he is not just trying to, okay, well, I'll give this really would be a better king from this perspective because he wouldn't turn away from me but recognize to work on all their hearts. And sometimes that is through lessons that are done in time, not just always, well, this is, would be the ideal according to what this person sees. How often does God honor our requests, grant them, even looking back and say, well, wouldn't this have been better? but really because it's more than just that thing in and of itself. Because it's a greater thing as he's trying to grow hearts, he's trying, the spirit of the Lord is working. Also good for Saul. Good for Saul as all these blessings being poured upon Saul, all this grace that God has given to Saul. Yeah, did Saul reject it? He did. Is that deeply saddening? Absolutely. But you can't say that God was not gracious to him. In fact, above and beyond, a 
above and beyond. Other questions or comments? Samuel leaves Saul after those three signs and says, once the signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hands find to do. God is with you. These things are going to happen. They are to give you the confidence that this anointing is from the Lord to serve and rule over his inheritance. As he is working in these ways in your life, now you go with the Lord. He is with you. And so do what seems best. Do whatever your hands find to do because the Lord is with you. You know that. And then Samuel says here, go down ahead of me to Gilgal. I will surely come down to you to sacrifice burnt offerings and fellowship offerings. But you must wait seven days until I come to you and tell you what you are to do. So then one last bit of instruction for Saul and it's instruction of this is something you are to do. Up to this point, really it was, this is all going to happen. This is all the encouragement, the hand of God at work for you. And now that should fill you to follow this. Go ahead. I will come. But you must now wait. Samuel says, wait. That's your instruction, Saul. Pretty simple task, don't you think? All you got to do is wait. Sounds so easy, doesn't it? All we got to do is wait. As God makes his promises to us, and he says, wait on the Lord. Not always so easy, is it? Saul is going to wait this time. This time. From the outset, the tone has already been set here. You do it according to God's way. You wait for Samuel to come. You do it according to God's way. You don't take things into your own hands. Oh, yeah, before that, once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever hands God is filling you there. But very specifically, when God tells you something here, tells you to wait, do it this way, you do it. It is not your role, not your function to be the God king. You are God's representative as king. You are the one he has anointed as ruler over his inheritance. It's his inheritance, not yours. That's what we're going to find a few chapters from now. This is Saul's downfall. He doesn't wait for this very thing. Not here, he will. But a time later comes where he does not wait for Samuel to come and offer sacrifices. And the Lord will be greatly displeased with Saul for it because he's disobeyed him. Because now Saul is setting himself up as king instead of filling the position that the Lord has anointed him to be. Questions or comments here? We got through half the chapter. We got through half the chapter. Um, that's okay. That's okay. There's a lot of interesting things in here. And so what we'll do is
There was a lot of good discussion this time too. And what we'll do is we will just pick up the rest of this chapter next time. And it's really going to start, and in fact, we'll give you a slight preview. Verse 9, as Saul turned to leave Samuel, God changed Saul's heart, and all these signs were fulfilled that day. That's the preview for what we'll look at with the rest of the chapter next time. Saul is now going forward with these signs being fulfilled. Samuel has anointed him to be next king. Well, now he is now going to be presented as king, publicly chosen by God as king for the nation. And we get to see how the nation responds. That's next time, the second half of 1 Samuel chapter 10. Let us close with prayer. Oh, Spirit, fill our hearts. Change us from the evil of our sins. Turn us from those ways as you have through the baptism you gave us new life. Continually to do it each day, growing us in your knowledge, growing us in your trust as we see your gracious hand at work in our lives in little ways and big. May you give us that comfort and that confidence of your love, of your promises, that they are certain. In your son's name we pray, amen.